ಅಚ್ಚಿಪುತ್ರಗಜಮರೂಪುರಿಂಗೋಷ್ಟಾಪತಿ ರಾಧಾಕುಂಡಂ ಗಿರಿಪುರಂ ಮಹೋ ರಾಧಿಕಮಧಾವಶಂ ಪ್ರಪ್ತ ಯಶ್ರತಿಗ್ರೀಪಾಯಶ್ರೀಗುರು ತಂ ನಸ್ಮಿ ಪಂಚಕಲ್ಪತರುಷ್ಟಾಕೃಪಾಸಿಂಧುಭ್ಯೈವಶ್ನವೇಭ್ಯನಮೋ ನಮಃ ಜಮಾರ್ಪಯಿತುಮುನ್ನತೋಜ್ವಲಸಂಸಭಕ್ತಿಶ್ರಿಯಂ ವಿಶ್ವಾಂಬರೋ ದ್ವಿಯಾಬರೋ ಜುಗಧಾರ್ಮಪಾಲೇ ಜಗತ್ಪ್ರಿಯಕರೋಕರುಣಾವತಾರೋಲಾಶಕ್ತಿಸ್ವಾಯಗೌಡಂಗಸುಹೃದಾಯಕ್ತಿಬ್ರದ
for many reasons. One of those could be, okay, when, when a great personality is born, maybe we still were not fully aware of the contribution of that personality, but when that personality has passed from this world, the whole their whole life legacy is behind them and we can really appreciate what was the birth of that person about, so to say. <laughs> so also we could say that that these great personalities like Srila Jiva Goswami among many others, they are teaching us basically how to die. And the goal of life is not only to know how to live, but how to die. And that's the, the, the last lesson that they will teach, you know, how we can live this world in full Krishna consciousness. So death is also a service to Bhagavan. That's an important point. As we are to offer our life in service of Krishna, we are to offer our death in service of Krishna. But that will be only possible if we are offering our life in service to Krishna. Mm -hmm. We cannot trick uh, Jamarash. So to say, okay, I will live my life like whatever, but at the moment of living, I will offer my death in service to Krishna. <laughs> It's like trying to say, I won't, I, won't, I won't look for a job because someday I may win the lottery. <laughs> Probably that won't happen, so better <laughs> look for a job. I will not play lottery just in case. <laughs> but so that's that's the idea, no? When 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 great personalities live their life, live a life of service, their death becomes I mean, service as well. Everything is seva for us. No? Yeah. We die in seva. I mean, actually, without, we die so many times in one lifetime. You know? Ideally, a dedicated devotee has to be dying at every moment, dying to live, you know? dying to be born to a higher version of themselves. That's a way of we can define progress. You progress by dying mm -hmm. and by being reborn at every stage. Srila Siddhar Maharaj will say, that, that's how he defines progress, accepting a higher, a highest conception and letting go a lower conception. Mm. Accepting a highest conception, letting, letting go a lowest conception. And that should be going on on a daily basis. Mm. It's not that, okay, once, in a, once per weekend, I'll do that. Once in a month, I let go the lowest conception. Once in a year, that's what life is about. Death and birth in the proper way so so today we are celebrating death basically in this connection again it's not a morbid thing no let's celebrate death let's make a festival of, of dying no? we are not promoting any type of collective cultish suicide or anything <laughs> like that. we are celebrating the, the daily death to the false selves that we need to embrace so we can be born more and more alive. As Hegel will say, die to live, not the ultimate reality. And there's no limit to that. Even when, when someone attains perfection, someone is serving Krishna in Golok Vrindavan, let's say, still there is constant progress and growth. Even though there's no longer false ego there, but still the, the nature of love is that it's always demanding more more giving of ourselves. You can always give yourself a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. No? So we are here preparing ourselves to enter into such a lifestyle. And imagine, no? it's a lifestyle with, at every moment, Mahaprabhu said, Pratipadam Purna Amrita Ashradhanam, first verse of Sikshastaka. 
at every step you, you we will be relishing the complete the full nectar of immortality so at every step it means at every moment there is something new to discover there is something new to to taste and there is something new to honor and to serve so in that sense we can say even in eternity you continue dying in the sense of you love Krishna, but at every moment you can love Krishna a little bit more and a little bit more. So for him, loving him a little bit more, you have to let go of, of your previous version of loving Krishna <laughs> to embrace the highest version of loving Krishna. And even if you love Krishna, you have prem, you have pure love, still the pure love can become more and more intense. That's what Krishna does, Kairaj Goswami says in Chaitanya Charitamrita. He says, at every moment, and I know this is difficult to conceive, and don't go here. That's be careful. It's, it happens. At every moment, Krishna is becoming more and more beautiful. We don't have experience of meeting a person that at every moment becomes more beautiful. On the contrary, every moment more white hair. <laughs> no? At every moment. No? <laughs> so, but Krishna is at every moment becoming more beautiful, without stop. It's not like once once per hour. It's at every nanosecond. He's becoming, he's the all attractive, but the all attractive doesn't mean that he can't become more attractive. He's the all attractive and he becomes more attractive already being the all attractive. Right? <laughs> Three cramp, I was like, wow. <laughs> That's the idea, no? That's the idea. No? That we have this experience with Krishna consciousness that we end up like, wow. <laughs> so at every moment, more attractive, more new, ever fresh. That's one of the attributes of Krishna Rupa Goswami gives. Ever fresh, ever new, always evolving, progressing. And Krishna Das Karaj Goswami is in something very nice. And all this in the context of Trilajiva Goswami. Don't lose sight of our main theme. <laughs> so he's saying, Krishna is becoming more beautiful at every nanosecond. And the love of the gopis and of the devotees in general become more and more intense to serve that beauty that is always new. So Krishna becomes more and more beautiful, the love that the devotees become more and more intense. And he says, and the two of them enter into a competition in which none of them accept defeat. <laughs> so that's his poetic way of saying, this is an ongoing affair. It's always expanding and growing without end. So in that sense, for us to enter into that land, we have to be willing to always, to be ready to leave a previous level of love to attain a new level of love. And the next moment, leave that and attain a new. <laughs> because that's the demand of, the, of, the, of, of that place. Krishna is becoming more beautiful. We have to do something to honor that new level of beauty. <laughs> Krishna becomes more Krishna. Krishna is the all-attractive, but he becomes more attractive. He Krishnaizes himself more and more. So that's in connection to the idea of dying to something and living to something else. Today in the afternoon, we will continue talking about that, if you allow me. But I want to introduce this in connection to the idea of Tirubhav Mahotsav, of celebrating death from the proper place. So today we are celebrating the sacred disappearance day of Srila Jiva Goswami. <clears throat> uh, and again, one of the reasons also why the disappearance day is more celebrating than the appearance days, because also the disappearance of a great beloved person 
helps us to enter into the mood of what we call union in separation. Mm-hmm. When we no longer have the physical presence of someone we love, somehow we cannot unite with that person externally. Mm-hmm. So that invites us to unite with that person in the innermost chamber of our heart. Even, even that can happen when someone is not leaving their body, but just it's out of your sight. Someone you love travels or whatever sometime and all the emotions and feelings you ex- used to express to that person on a daily basis you can no longer do that i mean today you connect online and do that on some level but my point here is all those feelings instead of getting externalized in separation get internalized so whatever you feel for that person starts to become more condensed in your heart so th- love thickens gets thickened so to say and of course when that person reappears so that's the purpose of separation also to to increase the joy of union that's what Rupa Goswami said if there is no separation there's no union if I'm always with you there's no union because I'm already there (laughs) so we need separation so we can have union so these are the eternal dynamics in the Lila and, and with other personalities as well so <clears throat> so today I, I i wanted to in connection to Srila Jiva goswami's disappearance day instead of concentrating so much in so to say his timeline in his life i, I will mention something briefly about him in his life but i want to concentrate on What's the like the the role of Srila Jiva Goswami in, in our tradition? What's and what's the contribution of, of Srila Jiva Goswami regarding the main role he has in our in our sampradaya? Uh, and at the end, we will have also questions and answers. So hopefully, if something I say is a little bit difficult to understand, I I will try to make it as simple as possible. But there is always something that may go a little bit above our heads, and it's okay. It's humbling to experience that also. Don't come to a lecture trying to understand everything. That's a recipe for misery. (laughs) There has to be some things that you don't understand. That's a good symptom. (laughs) But hopefully something you understand, because if you don't understand anything, that may be equally overwhelming. So first of all, first, before going to the contribution of Srila Jiva Swami, a few words, of course, about who he was for those of of us that may be hearing from him first for the first time or the second time. So Srila Jiva Goswami is one of the <clears throat> six Goswamis of Vrindavan. Sometimes we, you have heard this particular label, the six Goswamis of Vrindavan. Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Raghunadas Goswami, Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, and Srila Jiva Goswami. Srila Jiva Goswami is the youngest of the six Goswamis. Even sometimes it is said that he was the only one who didn't meet Mahaprabhu personally. Although it is described in one text called Bhakti Ratnakar that Jiva Goswami met Mahaprabhu when he was a child because he was very young. And, and at one point, Mahaprabhu met with Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, and their brother Anupama. Because actually, Jiva Goswami is the son of Anupama. So Sri Goswami is the nephew of Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami. 
It's a pretty powerful family he had there. Imagine, who's your uncle? Oh, Rupa Goswami. <laughs> Jai. So that person is Srila Jiva Goswami. Jiva Goswami is the nephew of Rupa Goswami and the disciple of Rupa Goswami. They say that Rupa Goswami only initiated one person and that person was Srila Jiva Goswami. So once Srila Jiva Goswami's father, Anupama, and Srila Jiva Goswami's uncles, Rupa and Sanatan, met with Mahaprabhu and to say that Jiva Goswami being a child, he just looked at the meeting from the distance and witnessed that. It is described as such in Bhakti Ratnakar. And someone may say, well, but what's the, what's the significance of that? A child looking and meeting from the distance, that may not have any effect. But the point is that the person who was looked at was Sri Chaitanya Dev, <laughs> Rupa Goswami, and the person who was looking was Jiva Goswami. So even if he was a child, he was no, no ordinary child. And, and by seeing the rest of Jiva Goswami's life, you can see how much he was affected by that darshan he had from Mahaprabhu. Mm -hmm. And of course, we will be quick to explain Jiva Goswami also said Nityasiddha, or is an eternal associate of Mahaprabhu. So despite it seems, oh, he met Mahaprabhu for the first time as a child, he's an eternal associate of Mahaprabhu, playing that role. in the, Even if someone tells me he never met Mahaprabhu, I don't care. He's still an eternal associate of Mahaprabhu. So even if for some reason in their earthly lila they didn't cross paths, that doesn't diminish <laughs> in any way Jiva Goswami's contribution. Even you can say on the contrary, no? despite not having met Mahaprabhu, he did what he did, he offered what he offered. So we have to be careful about yeah, not creating superficial like hierarchies. No? Okay, he met Mahaprabhu, he didn't meet Mahaprabhu, he met this, he didn't. But the question is, what did they do with that? No? Like some people may have met Srila Prabhupada and they were not very appreciative of that. That can happen. And some other people never met him and they are totally in love with him. And you follow my point. No? So, so Bapu doesn't necessarily warranty, the physical contact doesn't warranty that we we are doing the proper thing with that inside of us, so to say. <laughs> so, so Jiva Goswami is one of those examples, if you will, showing this principle. If he met Mahaprabhu, he was as a child for a few minutes. It's about quality, not quantity. <laughs> or even if you go to the next generation that came after Jiva Goswami, like Narutam Das Thakur, Srinivasacharya, Siamananda Pandit, all of whom studied with Jiva Goswami, because as you know, Jiva Goswami eventually became like the, how to say, the, the elder member of the Gaudiya Sampradaya at his time in the Radha Damodar temple. And he created this school and everyone was studying with him. So this next generation, like Narutam, Shyamananda, Srinivas, they never, again, physically in the, in, on earth met with Mahaprabhu. And, 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 and the whole mood was with their generation, like, we just missed Mahaprabhu. No, he just left and we came just like... So instead, of course, that created in them this strong sense of separation and extreme longing, which became an added unique flavor to their generation, so to say. So it's, again, it's nothing that diminishes their position. On the contrary, it gives them a very unique perspective. 
that became their contribution, so to say. So Srila Jiva Goswami, again, is an eternal associate in, in the Krishna Lila. He's known as Bilas Manjari. And in the Gaur Lila, for his Sri Jiva Goswami, and <coughs> he's, uh, he was a very prolific writer among all the, I mean, all the Goswamis were most of the Goswamis, not all, but most of the Goswamis were very prolific writers. But Srila Jiva Goswami was like the prolific writer. And to say that the only person that surpasses him in quantity of verses written is Vyasadev. So that says something, right? <laughs> okay, you have been beaten by Srila Vyasadev. <laughs> the literary incarnation of God who compiled the whole Vedic literature. Okay, that's almost like you have you won the gold medal because I mean you cannot compare them with Vyasadev. So Jilaji Goswami wrote so much. And again, not so much only in terms of quantity, but also in terms of, of quality. And Srila Jiva Goswami, going to our main topic today, was the um, Tattvacharya of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Each one of the six Goswamis, of course, the six of them were absolutely qualified to do the, the function of the others also. No, we, we we don't want to establish this like okay this is highest than this this is the no so but each one of them by Mahaprabhu's desire and, and also like in complement to each other working as a team they were specialized in certain contribution and service no to give you an example let's go by through each one of them no like Silarupa Goswami he was known as the Rasa Acharya, for example. He wrote Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So he mm -hmm. specialized in unfolding all the nuances of, of Rasa, of the ultimate devotional mellow, as Srila Prabhupada will call. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. He wrote Ujbal Nilaman. He specialized mm -hmm. in defining Avideya also. What's the means to the goal? Bhakti. Bhakti mm -hmm. as the means to the goal. So he wrote all about bhakti. Sanatana Goswami was more empowered to write about sambanda, no? the, the orientation to engage in bhakti. Brihad Bhagavatamrita is a very nice example of that. What else? We have Raghunadas Goswami. Raghunadas Goswami is known as the Prayojan Tattvacharya. He mostly specialized about the ultimate goal of Gaudiya Sampradaya. So most of his books are about prayers to Sri Radha, mm. ecstatic prayers and separation, very high, very deep, very esoteric, because he was specially empowered by Mahaprabhu for that. So he's a prayer. So we can see different functions. Sanatana Goswami, Sambanda, Rupa Goswami, Videya, Raghunadas Goswami, uh, Prayojan. Then we have Gopal Bhatta Goswami, he was appointed by Mahaprabhu to be the guru of the, among the six Goswamis. Interestingly, the six Goswamis didn't initiate disciples. Rupa Goswami initiated one. It's fine. I'm saying this also because sometimes we, we have that very superficial idea of, oh, he's a guru. And it's like, how many disciples does he have? <laughs> so according to the number of zeros attached, I can establish the adhikar of the person. Some things like that. Sometimes we can be very superficial in our... Uh, ascertaining the, the, the position of someone. No? Like, how, is he famous or not? 
that he had more like rock star Swami or it's more like celebrity consciousness or some it's not the fault of the other person. I mean, it's our approach. Sometimes we instead of looking for a guru, we'll look for for a rock star or something. No? So it's important for us, like where I where I am as a disciple, no? as I always say, sometimes we ask, where's the guru? Where's the guru? But the first question is, where's the disciple? <laughs> where I am as a disciple. I'm properly situated because if I'm not situated as a disciple, guru can be here, but I'm not seeing it because the disciple hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> no, so so sometimes we have this idea. No, guru has to be like huge, big, whatever. No, the more the more externals, we we conclude the more there is something internal, but that's not the case. I mean, there can be externals, but that's that's that doesn't warranty the other things. We should look for the internal thing. So again, the Goswamis were our main gurus in one sense. And from, from the six Goswami, five didn't have any disciple initiated. Rupa Goswami only had one. Among five of the six, you, they have one disciple. Of course, that one disciple was Jiva Goswami. <laughs> so in one sense, that one disciple makes up for, <laughs> for everyone else. Also, no? And Gopal Bhatta Goswami, which was my point, he was the one who was appointed by Mahaprabhu to be the official Diksha Guru among the six Goswamis. And it was interesting because Mahaprabhu, for that, he also considered, he had some relative consideration in mind. Because again, all the Goswamis were qualified to give initiation. But Mahaprabhu also considered a relative thing, which is Gopal Bhatta Goswami comes from an extremely prestigious background. And on a social level, that will have some impact and that will give some credibility to the Sampradaya that is being established. Again, it's a relative consideration, but there's place for that. So Gopal Bhatta Goswami, as you know, he was the son of Venkata Bhatta. He was the main priest of the main temple in South India, Sri Rangam. So that's powerful position. Power. That means power. We have nothing against power. What do you do with power is the thing. So Gopal Bhatta came from such a powerful lineage. So Mahaprabhu considered, let him be the guru. Because at that time, there was still lots of consideration of, okay, you are a guru. What's your family? What's your tradition? What's your bloodline? And all this. Okay, Gopal Bhatta Goswami. He's this Brahmin, born Brahmin, South Indian, very prestigious family. His father is the main priest of the main temple in India, basically. So what can you say against that? <laughs> so he was appointed by Mahaprabhu to be the Diksha Guru. Mahaprabhu sent him his asana, his coping, his sandals. So that was kind of the main function of Gopal Bhatta Goswami. Among other things, he also wrote uh, different codes of behavior for Vaishnavs and things like that. And then we have also Raghunath Bhatta Goswami. Somehow he's quite one of the less known mm. among the six. And, and it is said that his main specialty was to recite the Bhagavatam. To recite the Bhagavatam. I hope that's not less, right? <laughs> he will recite the Bhagavatam. He will recite it with different melodies. He will be very expert in singing the verses of the Bhat. And, and also one other area of expertise he had was to cook. Hmm? Again, not to downplay any seva. Again, Oh, he was not the guru. He was just the cook. I mean, someone has to cook. <laughs> someone has to be the guru. It's all 
teamwork. No? We are working together. It's not like necessary the one the Biasa sun is higher than the one with the pots, so to say. Again, we should be essential in our appreciation and not get stuck into the externals. So that was Raghunath Bhatta Goswami. And then we have Srila Jiva Goswami again, after going through all these functions. And Srila Jiva Goswami was the Tatwa Acharya of the six Goswamis. In other words, he was the one in charge of establishing the philosophical foundation for the Sampradaya. He was the theologian, theologian of the six among the six Goswamis. Sometimes there is some comparison for those who are a little bit familiar with Christianity. They compare Jiva Goswami with Thomas Aquinas, who was kind of the theologian in Christianity. He wrote a big book called Summa Theologica. So Jiva Goswami wrote a similar book called the Satsandarva, which is a very thick volume. I mean, there are many volumes. Establishing the from the philosophical foundation for the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Because remember, I mean Mahaprabhu, <clears throat> in one sense we could say Mahaprabhu inaugurated our tradition, if you want to put it like that, in one sense. Of course, we can trace parampara to Krishna himself, Rama, Narad, Vyasa, and so on. But in one sense, Mahaprabhu is a deity of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Mm -hmm. But Mahaprabhu didn't establish an organized religion. He came and he just like, like Srila Bhaktarakshaksya Dev Goswami Maharaj will describe him like a golden volcano of divine love. That's Mahaprabhu. Imagine. You have volcanoes here, no? Ramachandra Prabhu was showing me one yesterday from the window. It's like, okay. <laughs> My first question was, is that still active? <laughs> Because it's intimidating, a volcano is intimidating. So Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself in, in his most volcanic form. That can be even more intimidating than all the New Zealand volcanoes put together. What if Krishna comes as a volcano? <laughs> and a very active one. Mahaprabhu is not an inactive volcano, I can tell you. So Srila Selmaraj poetically described Mahaprabhu as a golden, because he was golden hue, a golden volcano. We generally don't see golden volcanoes. And of divine love. So the lava, you say? Yeah. The golden volcano is erupting. He will say very, very poetically, Mahaprabhu is a golden volcano of divine love and erupting with the lava of Prem, consuming everything on its way. That was Mahaprabhu. So he didn't sat and okay, let's 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 plan an organized system of religion. And he didn't have time for that. He just came and erupted. <laughs> erupted, erupted continuously. No? As we know, and I don't want to go there, that's a, a whole different conversation. We can go some of these days, but as you know, Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself experiencing the mood of Srimati Radharani, tasting the heart of Sri Radha, these three main desires mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita that he's relishing. So Mahaprabhu is tasting something inside. There is some movement, as I like to put in my book on radical personalism. We are, we are members of Mahaprabhu's movement. But how Mahaprabhu's movement began, it began with certain movement inside Mahaprabhu's heart. Something is moving Krishna's heart to taste Radha's heart. So Krishna tastes Radha's heart as Mahaprabhu. That starts to move him in a certain way, moving internally. 
and he starts to move externally in Sankirtan and dance and sing. That internal movement takes him to an external movement, and this external movement makes so many other people become like hypnotized and start to <laughs> move like him and dance and celebrate. And eventually a whole movement is formed around all those other movements. <laughs> and it all began with some internal movement in Mahaprabhu's heart. And it like erupted again, volcanically. And now we are here as a byproduct of that. So we are a byproduct of a volcano, volcano basically, if you want to put it poetically. We are a result of being sprinkled by that lava that came to us in Parampara. So I'm saying all this why again, because Mahaprabhu didn't systematize a whole system of, he didn't, he didn't inaugurate the religion. He just came, tasted the highest love and exploded and erupted. And that's it. I mean, I'm not saying that's it, like, oh, that's it, nothing else. That's everything. But but the point is, what to do with that? How to how to make that available to others? It's so intense. Again, it's a volcano erupting. So the Goswamis were kind of the masterminds that Mahaprabhu empowered to. They took Mahaprabhu's volcan volcanic eruption and they give them shape they gave shape to that in the form of books and teachings uh, and, and a whole lineage that we now can relate to and be part of so to say so the goswamis was were kind of the original architects of the gaudiya sampradaya because mahaprabhu just came and erupted exploded it was intense and the goswamis witnessed that and took note of that and started to make sense of that what's mahaprabhu's heart about Let's give shape. Let's explain it. Let's write it. And so much can be said about it, of course. <laughs> and that's why we have all these books of the Goswamis. So in that context, Srila Jiva Goswami's, his role is the theologian of the Sampradaya. Like taking Mahaprabhu's heart and trying to explain it philosophically. <laughs> so that's the person we are, that's celebrating today. That's the contribution of Jiva Goswami. So Srila Prabhupada will say, for example, Srila Jiva Goswami is the greatest philosopher of all time. That's now a small praise. <laughs> so it's another way of saying he was among the Goswamis, the Tattvacharya, the philosopher, par excellence, the theologian. Hmm. Can I ask you my, my first book, one second? Actually, I'm on I have been one year on tour promoting my second book, so I'm supposed to be talking about radical personalism. But today's topic forces me to go to my first book, Inherent or Inherited, where I talked about the nature of Bhakti in the Jiva, because also I talk about Jiva Goswami and the Sandharvas here. This book is not only about whether Bhakti is inherent or not, but it's about how to deal with differences of opinion, how to understand the how to say, how to, I will go there now. How to understand the proper method to ascertain all the things. So, so let me, what Srila Prabhupada says? I have a note here. What Srila Prabhupada says about Srila Jiva Goswami and the Sandharvas? Srila Prabhupada says, a part of describing him as the greatest philosopher of all time, Prabhupada describes Srila Jiva Goswami as the greatest scholar of Srimad Bhagavatam, which again, for us, Srimad Bhagavatam is our main book. Mm. 
So if someone is the greatest scholar of that book, we will want to pay attention to that person. And then he speaks about the Sandarbhas, which are, the, in one sense, is the main book of Trilogy Goswami, I mean, the, the longest, at least. And he says, he says, these Sandarbhas, Prabhupada says, are so philosophically discussed that throughout the whole world, there's not a single philosopher who can defy this Jiva Goswami's six Sandarbhas. And then he says, these Sandarbhas are recognized as the most scholarly work in the world. There is no comparison of his philosophical approach to the Vaishnav school. So that's something, right? <laughs> you see all the quotes of Prabhupada of the whole world, no? of the whole world. Jiva Swami is the greatest philosopher in the world. His Sandarvas are the most comprehensive work in the whole world. So that should no? trigger some curiosity at least. No? Like, what's this person about? What's his writings about that our acharyas are putting so much weight? And if you if you some of us may not have been able to study the Sandarvas, which I would personally recommend, but at the same time, it's interesting because maybe we haven't noticed, but in books like Chaitanya Charitamrita, actually it revolves a, ro a lot about the Sandarvas of Jiva Goswami. Mm -hmm. it's, take, it's taking the essence of the Sandarvas and presenting it in Bengali in the context of Mahaprabhu's teachings. Mm -hmm. In fact, let me show you one verse from Chaitanya Charitamrita in praise of the Sandarvas, and that will help you to understand What's the role of the Sandarvas in Chaitanya Charitamrita? This verse, Antelila chapter 4, verse 229, for those who do not believe what I'm telling you, you can go and check, no problem. So Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says, Bhagavat Sandarva Namakaila Granta Shar, Bhagavat Siddhantera Taham Payapar. The Bhagavat Sandarva, which is another name from the Sat Sandarva, is the essence of all scriptures. This work presents the limit of all Siddhanta concerning Bhagavan. So Bhagavat, Grantasar, of all Shastra, of all scriptures, this book is the essence, interestingly. And all Siddhanta or all conclusive truths are presented here. So again, this is the, the, the work of Jiva Goswami to, to give us the Siddhanta or the proper philosophical conclusions about what is what, so to say. When I say conclusions, doesn't mean that we cannot develop on the basis of that, but, but we have to begin with some accurate descriptions of reality. So Srila Jiva Goswami gives that. And as Chaitanya Charitamrita recommends, we should not be lazy in trying to understand Siddhanta. Because sometimes it, Okay, Jiva Goswami wrote that book. It seems it's very interesting, but I saw an edition of that and it seems too long. So probably not in this lifetime, Maharaj. So, okay, I understand. Especially I understand when newer and newer generations, I know that the reading is becoming less and less popular. <laughs> like I was talking the other day with some devotees and, and I had my book and like Maharaj, we love you so much. We would like so much to read your book, but we don't read anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
what? <laughs> I kind of, I suddenly felt myself like an inhabitant of Satya Yuga or something. Like that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm a prehistoric creature, like with something called books. <laughs> but it's okay, no problem. Life happens, so now we're making audiobook. So, so that's possible. That makes it possible. So, but that was my point was that sometimes we may get a little bit intimidated by length of books or just by a book. <laughs> but somehow or other, it's important that we try to make an effort to understand Siddhanta. Siddhanta means to understand the foundations of what we're doing, basically, to understand what we are doing. If I say I'm a devotee, I practice bhakti. I hope you try to understand what's bhakti. <laughs> because if not, you don't know what you are doing, basically. Yeah. As simple as that. <laughs> so Krishna Kaviraj will say in Chaitanya Chaitanya, Siddhanta Valiya Chitta Nakara Alas. Haiti Krishna Lagi Sudrita Manas. So Krishna, Siddhanta Valiya, try, try to think about Siddhanta. Try to exercise your thinking capacities in connection to Siddhanta. And then he quickly says, Nakara Alas which means don't be lazy. <laughs> no? I mean, he could just say, try to think about Siddhanta. That's enough. But he says, just further qualifies his statement by saying, don't be lazy. No? Of course, each of us have different capacities, but according to our capacity, let's not be lazy. I may have this capacity, and I have has this capacity, and I have this capacity. Whatever capacity you have, don't be lazy. Laziness is not a virtue. <laughs> so it's important that as devotees we become, as Prabhupada will say, independently thoughtful people. So we have to develop our own criterion. But also we need some point of reference. We study the books of our teachers, our masters, but we have to think about them. It's not just copy-paste. It's not just pirating. Or is pirating in the form of Sukadev Goswami, who said like he was like a parrot that bites a fruit and makes it sweeter. You have two ways of being a parrot. <laughs> Just doing copy-paste without understanding what you are telling, saying, or biting something and adding new, new flavors, so to say. That's the idea. That's parampara. Each member of the parampara is a parrot in that sense. They are adding juice and sweetness to the previous contribution and so on. So I'm talking about Sri Swami here. I'm talking about his sandarvas, and and I can hear sometimes, not among you, but sometimes things like, "But Maharaj, everything is in Prabhupada's books, so we don't need to. We can burn half of that library because there are no those are not Prabhupada's books." But even if you want to take that, even if you want to be a hardcore, only reading Prabhupada books person, I say, okay, let's go to Prabhupada's books. <laughs> no? And what do you find in Prabhupada's books? That he's sending you to so many other books. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's in Prabhupada's books. No. I heard a few times devotees tell me, I only read Prabhupada's books and, I don't know, Prabhupada translated Bhagavad until chapter 13. I will never read chapter 14 because he didn't translate it. I was like, okay, that sounds a little bit too much. <laughs> uh, I will never read Sandarbas because he didn't translate. I mean, if he will be alive, don't, don't you think he will have translated a few other books 
including the Sandarvas, considering what he said about those books, as I just read. <laughs> Bhaktino Tagur himself told Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati in one famous letter that he, you please present the teachings of the Sandarvas of Jiva Goswami, among other things. So again, if you tell me all is in Prabhupada's books, okay, go to the first purport of the first chapter, of the first verse, of the first canto of the Bhagavatam. For Prabhupada, if you want to say Prabhupada's books, the main Prabhupada book will be Bhagavatam, which of course is not his book. He's commenting on the Bhagavatam. Go to the first purport of the first verse, first chapter, first canto. No. Prabhupada is, let me read you what he says. Just if you don't believe me, it's there. You can just check for yourself. Within the past 500 years, many erudite scholars and acharyas like Jiva Goswami, first one mentioned, Sanatan Goswami, Vishwanachakavar Thakur, Balabhacharya, and many other distinguished scholars, even after the time of Lord Chaitanya, made elaborate commentaries on the Bhagavatam. And this serious student will do well to attempt to go through them to better relish the transcendental messages. That's not Swami Padmanava saying that. <laughs> and the first person he mentions is Jiva Goswami among all the different. So he's saying, if you're a serious student, go there. If you are not serious, okay, you don't need to go there. <laughs> but if you are serious, I will really recommend you go there. And of course, someone may say, okay, Prabhupada is talking there about the, the, the commentaries to the Bhagavatam. So Jiva Goswami wrote a commentary to the Bhagavatam, to the 10th canto. Sanatana Goswami wrote a commentary to the 10th canto. And some may say, okay, but there are so many other books that the Goswamis wrote, which are not directly commentaries to the Bhagavatam. But in one sense, all of the books of the Goswamis are commentaries on the Bhagavatam. Because all revolve around what the Bhagavatam is. If you study any of the books of the Goswami, for example, I don't know, you tell me one. Prabhupada presented Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as the nectar of devotion. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu revolves around the premise that Krishna is, in the words of Rupa Goswami, Akila Rasamrita Murti. And that, that line, which means Krishna is the, the, the embodiment of all devotional mellows, so the perfect object for all forms of love. That conception that then Rupa Goswami unpacks in the whole book comes from the Bhagavatam. And, and that's one bird, Mala Namasaninrinamnarabaramsrinashmarumurtimam, and so on, which is the verse when Krishna is entering the arena of Kamsa in Mathura. Mm -hmm. And there's this verse which describes how 12 different people see Krishna in different ways, mm -hmm. you know, according to their own mood. But Krishna is this, the object simultaneously all, of all different forms of affection. Conjugal love, friendship, servanthood, even enmity, enmity, like fear, hatred, all the rasas, five principal, seven secondary. So that's in the Bhagavatam. That's one verse. Rupa Goswami, that, that's how the Goswamis read the Bhagavatam. No? They go to one verse, hmm. they start to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. 
Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is the consequence of Rupa Goswami reading that verse of the Bhagavatam. Let's put it like that. That, that was the Goswami's reading of the Bhagavatam. They take a book, they read one verse of the book, and they make another book out of that reading of that verse. <laughs> so, And all the books of the Goswamis, in that same way as I gave you this example, one verse from the Bhagavatam, one book, one verse of the Bhagavatam, one book by the Goswamis. Let's put it like that. Another verse of the Bhagavatam, another book of the Goswamis. <laughs> so all the books of the Goswamis, maybe... Yeah, all of them. Hari Bhakti Vilas may be a little bit more an exception. It's more like certain codes of behavior. But all of the rest are all revolving around the Gopal Shampoo of Jiva Goswami. It's another rendering of the of the 10th canto. I mean, you name it. All these prayers of Raghunath Das Goswami to Sri Radha and the, and the, and the madness of love of Sri Radha is, is coming from the Bhagavatam because the zenith of the Bhagavatam is the love of Sri Radha for Krishna. Although the name of Sri Radha is never mentioned there directly, as you know. <laughs> but the whole Bhagavatam is about her, interestingly. By Parokshabad. Krishna says in the Gita, Paroksham Mamachapriyam. Parokshabad means indirect speech. So when I have to tell you something very deep and confidential, I won't tell it overtly in a way that everyone understands. That That's not so interesting. I will tell in a way that only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will catch it everyone else will think i'm, I'm saying something else mm-hmm. <laughs> that's paroksha but and krishna says in the bottom paroksha mama priyam i really like indirect speech <laughs> that's he says that it's so dear to me when, when people say something and everyone thinks one thing but those who know know there's something else going on there. That's the language of lovers, basically. They have words, code words among themselves that nobody else understands. Everyone else thinks they are talking about laundry. <laughs> Whatever. But they are exchanging very confidential messages among each other. So the Bhagavatam is that. It's all about Sri Radha, but her name is nowhere in the book. But if you have the eyes to see, you find her all be between the lines. Even in the title of the book, I mentioned that in one part of my book in the conclusion. Go to the name, Sri Mad Bhagavatam. Go to Sri Mad Bhagavatam. It's a, it's a little bit Sanskrit, Sanskrit play of words here, but it's connected. Sri Mad Bhagavatam means the madness. In Sanskrit, Mada means madness. Sri is the name of Sri Radha. So Sri Mad means the madness of Sri for Bhagavan. The madness of Sri Radha for Bhagavan Sri Krishna. That's what the Bhagavatam is about. That's the zenith of the Bhagavatam, which is Rasa Lila. And ultimately, that speaks about the love of Sri Radha. So I'm saying all this again. I was mentioning the books of Raghunath Das Goswami are all about that. So all the books of the Goswamis revolve around the Srimad Bhagavatam. And, and for us, <coughs> going back to Jiva Goswami, for us, as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, um, our main praman, again, let me invoke a few Sanskrit terms. Praman, praman means like, how will translate, you translate praman, like evidence or like means of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It has to do with epistemology. Epistemology means, how do I know what I know? No? Okay, we need to know about something. What's the, 
the, the way we, we will embrace to know that, what's the method, what's the means of knowledge. So Praman is a technical Sanskrit term for that. So in our tradition, we will have different ways of knowing reality. And a very emphasized one by Jiva Goswami is Shabda, which means sound, which re refers to the divine sound of revelation and sacred scripture. And among that, Srimad Bhagavatam is presented as the Grantaraj, or the king of all scriptures. And this is something very interesting that Jiva Goswami himself establishes. But also we will add something else. Of course, Jiva Goswami is not establishing okay, the, the Bhagavatam is the most important book. And also my Sandarvas. No, he won't say that, of course. But we, after, coming after the six of Swami, will say, for us, the most important Praman is the Bhagavatam plus the books of the Goswamis. Why? Because the books of the Goswamis, in one sense, are not different from the Bhagavatam because they are all revolving around the Bhagavatam, as I mentioned. All the books of the Goswamis are extensions of the Bhagavatam. They are just showing us what the Bhagavatam is actually about. So you cannot kind of separate the two. I mean, the way we know the Bhagavatam is by, by how the Goswamis explain them. All the commentaries, like if you go, if you go to certain verses of the Bhagavatam, I don't know, Krishna Barnum, Tisad Krishnam, Sangopangastra Parsham, this is a verse that we will always say, oh, that's about Mahaprabhu. But we say that because we heard that, and we heard that because the Goswamis say that. Because if you show that verse to someone from the Sri Sampradaya or from other school, they won't say Mahab, they won't see Mahaprabhu there. They will have their own reading of the of the verse. Mm -hmm. You follow my point? So it's not that you read the verse without any influence and you say, okay, this is Mahaprabhu. But we go to that conclusion naturally, without knowing probably, because of how the Goswamis uh, presented the Bhagavatam to us. And so our approach to the Bhagavatam is through the lens of the Goswamis. So as I mentioned before, we belong to Mahaprabhu's movement. And for Mahaprabhu, the Bhagavatam was everything. He embraced the Bhagavatam in a very unique way. And Mahaprabhu's embrace to the Bhagavatam created this volcanic eruption that we talked about. <laughs> and the Goswamis now are explaining all that. What's the Bhagavatam about? What's Mahaprabhu's heart about in connection to the Bhagavatam? And we are the receptacles of that grace basically so <clears throat> but i would like to finish with one more point that i think is one of the main contributions of the of jiva goswami in connection to this and it's again going back to the idea of praman in his sandarva sriva goswami try is trying to teach us whenever we have a conversation on any topic how we should start because we have the term praman and we have the term prameya. Sorry to torture you with so many new words. Excuse me. I promise I will be more friendly the next classes. So prameya means it's it's not so difficult. Prameya is that which is to be established through pramana. Mm -hmm. So we want to establish some truth. That's the prameya. And pramana is how we will try to establish the truth. Like to give the example of my book. Okay, the Prameya is 
is bhakti inherent or not in the jiva? That's the prameya, the thing that we want to ascertain. So then, but before going there, Jiva Goswami makes this point, we have to go to pramana, is how we will try to ascertain that. First, we have to agree on the means of knowledge. And that's a very important point that sometimes needs to be more established in our in our tradition. Hmm. And because sometimes we jump into or whatever, any any other topic. No? I won't go into any direction. Sometimes I don't know, you may have heard about this. Do we fall from Baikunth or not? Have you heard about that one? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go in, into the details of that. But the point is, okay, that's what it's want to we want to sell, but what's the Praman for that. What's the basis for establishing our points? Someone will say, okay, that's what Prabhupada said in classes. That was Prabhupada saying letters. That was other acharyas say. That's what my gurus say. That's what I think. So to follow my point, if each of us come with their own pramana, we'll never have a conversation. Because if, if I come with well, whatever I, I think, that's the way of establishing this topic. It's like, okay. <laughs> And you say, whatever Bhakti Thakur say, and I say, whatever my guru say. And we need to find some consensus into what's a common, we can agree on one common praman that we all share as Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Because you can come to me and say, whatever Prabhupada say, but what if I I come from, I don't know, from the lineage of the, the Radha Ramango Swamis? In one sense, Sila Prabhupada is, is not part of my parampara. Which is okay. We should be okay of that with that also. <laughs> so I, I cannot try to tell you follow my point. So I cannot tell that person you have to accept what Prabhupada say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other person can tell you well, you have to accept what my guru say, and we will be fighting for eternity mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of ascertaining Siddhanta. <laughs> and that happens a lot among Godiavash, <laughs> especially online. Yeah. <laughs> no? When you don't have to face the person, but you have a, just a screen and a keyboard. All your courage comes. No? But when you're seeing that person, you just cross the street and look. <laughs> so I cannot tell you how many things I have been said and told online and how basically nothing I've been told face to face. So that, that happens. So, so my point is we need to establish a common uh, consensual pramah. Again, if 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 all of us are Vaishnav, Gaudiya Vaishnavs, but belonging to different lineages or traditions, what's that one praman that we all share in common? I cannot again say what my gurus say, what my gurus gurus is what the Bhagavatam says, and what the Goswamis have said. No, that's our foundational praman. So that's what Srila Ji Goswami established in in his Sandarbhas. I mean. He didn't mention the Goswami's books because he was one of them. So out of humility, he's not saying, my book also, please. But he made this important point about the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is our main praman. Let me kind of share one paragraph from here, one second. And we are always going to Q&A. But... <clears throat> so Jiva Goswami says... I'm going to the 
wrong page. Actually, what I want to read is all, I have already explained everything, the same thing. So I don't want to read the same thing to you, basically. Yeah, I will, I will be just repeating myself. It's okay. I was mentioning that Srila Jiva was Swami then in his Sandarbhas, just to conclude, we are trying to share a few words praising his contribution. He has six Sandarbhas. Sat Sandarbha means six Sandar. Sandarbha means like a treatise and Shat means six. Uh, so this is the Tattva Sandarbha, uh, Paramatma Sandarbha, Bhagavat Sandarbha, Krishna Sandarbha, Bhakti Sandarbha, Priti Sandarbha, six Sandarbhas. First fourth on Abhid Sambanda, fifth on Abhideya, Bhakti, and sixth on Prayojan, Priti or Prem. So the first Sandarbha is the Tattva Sandarbha. It's the shorter. Each Sandarbha becomes kind of bigger. So in the Tattva Sandarbha, and again, Jiva Goswami is the Tattva Charya. What Jiva Goswami does is, again, establishing, before speaking about anything, and he makes that point, again, before the other five Sandarbhas, before talking about Bhagavan, Brahman, Paramatma, the Jiva, Bhakti, Prem, before any of those stuff, that stuff, let's establish <clears throat> Brahman. Now, what will be our epistemology? How we will approach this whole exploration so to say and he makes this point very clearly and that's a very revolutionary point because till the time of jiva goswami interestingly before jiva goswami in other sampradayas the way to establish siddhanta was not by the bhagavatam as the main uh, evidence but it was something called prastana trai which is bhagavad gita upanishads and the vedanta sutra those three were the main source of evidence in Ramanuja Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya, Sankaracharya Sampradaya, Advaita Vedanta. So it was traditionally accepted. This is the main source of evidence for whatever you want to establish in your Sampradaya. Prastana Trai, Trai means three. These three forms of evidence. Upanishads, ten main Upanishads, uh, Bhagavad Gita, and Vedanta Sutra. So Jiva Goswami, his Tattva Sandarva presents something quite revolutionary, saying our main evidence is the Bhagavatam. And, and the Tattva Sandara explains why he's not following the classical Prashtana trade system, why the Bhagavatam overrules all the other forms of evidence. And he presents that in a very expert way, of course. As you, he's very systematic. I, for those who have never read Jiva Goswami, he not only makes his point, but then he will bring so many counter arguments to his own point that are way better than the arguments that the actual opposers will bring <laughs> he himself will think what could be the best possible argument to my point <laughs> and he includes that in the book and then he defeats that argument himself no? very much in the mood of what Mahaprabhu was no? as Nimai Pandit he will present a point nobody could defeat, refute that he will refute his own point nobody could refute the refutation <laughs> he will counter refute himself and everyone his head was spinning like like brahma in the brahma vimohan lila was like Phew. <laughs> no. to jiva goswami that's something like that in the sandara he presents a point and for it to be made very for for the point to be like comprehensive 
he brings what he called purva paksha, which means opposing view. Mm. He doesn't want uh, my point is he doesn't want us to be fanatical. He's not saying this is the ultimate truth. Accept it. No, no, he's bringing arguments and doubts and conflicting opinions. So to make our brains turn, so so to turn our brains like, okay, <laughs> and you maybe read the opposing view and you get convinced by that. I said like, oh, Jiva Goswami was wrong. No, <laughs> the opposer is correct. And then you see his counter argument to that. And, and whenever you reach the final conclusion, you went through all these stages of argument and counter argument. So your conclusion is properly grounded with, mm. with critical thinking, so to say, not just dogma. Like, this one. Yeah. yeah, somehow I try to, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Jiva Goswami at all, but but that's I mean Vyasadev does that in the Vedanta Sutra. It's kind of a established system to present something in a mm. in a comprehensive way, not just okay, this is the dogma, no questions, no doubts, <laughs> nobody can challenge it, right? You have just to swallow my conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just basically a, a, a welcome invitation to a cult, <laughs> no? So the, the, the actual the actual mood of doing that is okay, this is my point, is based on scripture, but we also hear all these other opinions. So let's entertain them. Why they are saying that, how to understand, how to harmonize, how to reconcile. Yeah, you might sort of feel that it's essentially yourself when you're when you're reading those mm -hmm. secondary ones, it's like, oh yeah, as you said, I agree with that. And then you yeah. Yeah. So so that's the way that whenever so whenever you reach the final conclusion, it was after going through so many other avenues of possibilities of thought. So when you really are convinced about the conclusion, is is something really grounded and it's it's open and it has considered opposing views. So you get accustomed to entertain opposition and not just I only will listen to whatever agrees with me. Because that's dangerous. <laughs> that's, and all of us have the potential to become that, no? In potential. Everyone has the potential to become fanatical, blind follower. Uh, and especially with books of spirituality, as we were talking today in the morning, that you have like eternal truths, absolute truths, you can become a you can become a serial killer <laughs> in the name of God. I mean, just study human history. Most of the worst crimes are done in the name of God many times. <laughs> so my point is, if you if you are handed some deep message, but you don't have the critical thinking and the openness of mind and the flexibility to, you can become such a public threat, so to say. <laughs> so, so Jiva Goswami tries to establish, again, as a Tattva Acharya, okay, we will talk about Tattva Siddhanta, Let's do it like this. Let's invoke counter arguments. Let's invoke opposing views. Let's entertain the opinions of other groups, mm -hmm. which may not be wrong, but they may just be different. No, like if you study other Vaishnav sampradayas, they have different perspectives, but they are not wrong. That's an important point. It's not just there's only one right perspective. Even in eternity, there are differences of opinion. For example, we will say Nara, Krishna is the source of Narayan. We will say that, Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Krishna is too, Bhagavan, so yeah. Go to Vaikuntha. 
I mean, I know it's not so easy just... <laughs> but, in your mind, imagine you go to Vaikuntha where Narayan is there, Vishnu. Ask any of the Vaikuntha Vasis what's their opinion on that. Try to tell them Narayan, Krishna is the source of Narayan. Vaikuntha, which means no anxiety, will become Sakunta, will become full of anxiety. <laughs> you will be in, 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 in inserting a very disturbing element into their mind. How you will tell them that Krishna is the source of Narayan? They will tell you Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu. And they are in Vaikuntha. They are in spiritual world. They are perfect beings. There is a difference of opinion in the spiritual world. <laughs> you follow my point? So we need to be able to, to entertain that, to live with that for eternity. It's not just, okay, here, we, we all tolerate that, but there, everyone is of one mind. You will get a nice surprise. When you're <laughs> even in Golok, no, you don't need even to speak about Baikunta and Brindavan. You go to Brindavan, as I say sometimes, and there are differences of opinion. At night, Yashoda wants Krishna to sleep, to, to have a very sound sleep, because she will think he was the whole day pastoring with his friends, playing, he must be exhausted. May you sleep soundly the whole night. That his, that's her opinion. That's not the opinion of the gopis. Rather than the gopis, may you not sleep at all and join us for Rasa Lila the whole night. So they have two different opinions. <laughs> they want different things, but they love each other. Rather loves Yashoda, Yashoda loves Rasa. It's not that we have a problem with you because you want Krishna to sleep, I want Krishna to not sleep. So you fall in eternity, you have different perspectives, but all of that is integrated, is harmonized. So, so in this way, I, I wanted just to emphasize Jiva Goswami's contribution in how he's presenting us with not only a systematic unfolding of our philosophy, but the means how to approach that, how to understand, how to have a cultured debate even how to be gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, in a very educated way. We can sit and talk and, and have differences of opinion in a way that we end up appreciating each other and loving each other more despite our differences or even because of our differences. The difference will add some flavor to the whole masala. As they say, variety is the spice of life, right? Of course, too much variety is too much spice spice in the masala and that ruins the whole food so we want variety and we want unity as well so anyhow due to this and, and, and many other things for sure uh, we we consider that Srila Jiva Goswami is of course worthy of our praise and we want today to share some words considering how much life he infused in in the Gaudiya Sampradaya by his contribution how much life he infused in our lives even if we don't know about that, we, we are now becoming aware of, oh, Jiva Goswami is such a crucial person in my life, even though I may have never thought about that. <laughs> and that's why sometimes in the Gaudiya tradition, and I conclude with this line, uh, there's one line in the Bhagavatam which says, Jiva, Jivasya, Jiva, Nam, which means one living entity is food for another. One jiva is the jiva for another jiva, in other words. one It sounds more like Darwinistic evolutionary 
survival theory, so to say. But some Gaudiya Vaishnavas will take that line in another context and apply it to Jiva Goswami. And they will say, Jiva Jiva Se Jiva Nam. No? Sri Jiva is the Jiva of all Jivas. No? So Sri Jiva Goswami is giving, is giving Jiva, is giving life to all of us, all of us Jivas, all of us souls. No? So it's a way of praising Jiva Goswami in a sutra-like way. Jiva Jiva Se Jiva Nam. So a few words on Srila Jiva Goswami's Thirubhav Mahotsav. Uh, if we have a few minutes, if any any of you have any questions or anything you may like to share or ask about, we have a few minutes. Do we have a few minutes? Yes. Okay. As I like to say, we have eternity. <laughs> so eternity is on our side. Are, are there any questions or things you may like to? Yeah. Um, thank you, Maharaj. Uh, you love Joel's there. Just thinking about something you're saying, the study you talk about how, how as we grow, we sort of die of our old self, mm. regeneration like that. And so sometimes as we grow in bhakti, at times as we grow, it can be a little bewildering or confusing or even perhaps painful at times. I'm thinking kind of when we may move from more the Kanishta way of seeing the world, the Kanishta vision, more of a narrow kind of mindset. Um, we take security and doing everything else as everyone else is doing. We're thinking how everyone else is thinking. And as we sort of evolve more into like a more Majjama vision way of seeing the world, suddenly we sort of change, you know. We, we used to, when we sat in class, it, you know, or dealing with our authority, everything they said was ecstasy. But now it's like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm not sure that that sits well with me or this. And so, so then that we might bring in some difficult questions and, and we have to question, well, is this an environment for a difficult question? Will I upset people if I ask this question? Will, will the culture of the, um, you know, the institution, will that support this question? So, um, towards the end of your talk, you're talking about the, the growth of independent thoughtfulness and being able to see things from different perspectives. So I just wanted to ask if you could share another bit how we encounter that growth that may cause some tension or some sort of uh, uh, discombobulation. In <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> First time I heard it, it took me a few minutes to, to be able to pronounce it, discombobulation. Yeah. I still may pronounce it wrongly. Do you have four more hours for my reply to your question? <laughs> that deserves its whole separate lecture for sure. Right? In one sense, my last book has been, is a lot about that. Uh, <clears throat> and, and even with, with the whole book, it's not enough justice you can do to the topic because it's an ongoing conversation. But it's a very valid question, the one you have, and it's a necessary question that needs to come a certain stage of our journey as you mentioned in the beginning we are more in the in the honeymoon period so to say which is okay it's part of the journey it's not bad i mean rupa vishwanath uh, will call it maybe utsahamayi like initial enthusiasm and everything is like maybe over idealized and we are like over expecting also by over idealizing people we over expect from the people as well and everything becomes over everything 
and it's not real in one sense, fully real, because there are some things that are a little bit beyond what actual what that actually is. But again, it's, there's place for the honeymoon period, <laughs> but there's place for the landing, <laughs> no? back to earth, the realism, no? realizing, okay, I mean, not only in relation to others, but in relation to ourselves, no? because in the beginning we may think, okay, I'm so ecstatic and inspired, and it seems like I'm completely beyond the wounds, no? Um, I'm just getting just very close to Golok Vrindavan. No, I'm almost there. <laughs> no? It seems Krishna Prem is just right no? around the corner, uh, and 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 you over and you project that over idealized lens of yourself of anyone of everyone else, and, and we are all in the mothership, just getting closer there. And in time, you start to realize, wow, we are still human, and I still have to confront my demons, and I still have doubts, and I. I'm pretty fanatic, actually. I'm so afraid of so many things, and I have doubts, but I'm afraid of having doubts. And 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 some of the reasons I joined were more of peer approval and being part of a tribe. Uh, I I'm, don't have too much self-confidence, so I allow the environment to define me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all this type of thing. I'm not saying everyone else, everyone has all of that, but some of that, most of us have, unless any of you, some of you are need to see this coming from Golok. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for any offense in that case. So, and and that's that, and, and that will feel maybe embarrassing. You know? At one point, it may feel like even you may feel ashamed of yourself. Like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling these things. I'm seeing this thing. I may be offense an offender by seeing this, by having these doubts. And the problem in all this is when you are not in an environment that will support that transition. The problem is not that you are going through that transition. That's great. <laughs> Although it feels like, again, messy. It doesn't feel like ideal because it's not honeymoon is over. No? But it's no problem. You need to ground, be grounded in reality. As I always like to say, Vishwanath Chakavarti Thakur mentions when he describes bhajana kriya or engagement in bhakti, he says there's a stage called anishtita bhajana kriya, which is mm-hmm. unsteadiness in bhakti, which will, will last some time. He describes all the symptoms, one of each more embarrassing than the other one. <laughs> but probably you hear it and you, know, you feel like, I have it, I have it. <laughs> yeah, you check all the boxes. <laughs> but then he's quick to tell all those are aspects of a certain stage of bhakti which confirm that you are on the path. Mm-hmm. The fact that you are going through that means you are on the path. You that those are not the ultimate goal, <laughs> but you cannot generally you cannot reach the ultimate goal unless you go through them. So the fact that you are going through them means in one sense you are going to the goal. And you should celebrate that instead of ah, I'm so embarrassed by being such a messy bhakta. No, 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 no. So again, we all need to go through that transition, this kind of change, paradigm shift, no? where, where, where the version of Krishna consciousness that we encounter in day one sometimes is no, how to say, it's not enough. <laughs> it's not that Krishna consciousness is not enough, but the way we conceive that, we perceive that, we experience that. Again, beautiful honeymoon, 
but now we need to to relate to that from another place again if like if you get married with someone you're in the honeymoon and in time you realize this won't last forever the honeymoon but i have to continue my relationship with this person so we have to speak more in terms now of sacrifice and responsibility all these words that were not part of the honeymoon <laughs> no? but that's reality no? sacrifice commitment responsibility uh, tolerance respect patience oh my gosh tapasya that's the first word you hear in the universe that's what brahma heard first tapas he didn't hear honeymoon <laughs> right first word in the whole universe according to the button is tapas which means fire literally tapas means fire it means enter the fire okay have a honeymoon but enter the fire <laughs> so going back to my point the main thing i will say is not the problem is not that you're going through a transition and i'm not saying you i mean all of us the problem is when there is no we don't have an environment which is validating our transition like encouraging the transition not only okay you can have your transition what to do we tolerate that no no we celebrate that we are looking forward for that you are you're having a very long honeymoon period <laughs> no? transition is not coming there's a there's something wrong here no? you are being spoiled no? you are be, you become a, a child adult or something no? you need to be so we need to be in an environment that is facilitating that experience you follow my point so that is allowing the the kindergarten kanista period which is because all of that all of that needs to be a little bit like narrow-minded and fanatic and okay no like over idealistic it's okay no like like a baby will think as i always say my daddy is the best dad of the whole world in the whole planet and they will even tell that to others. <laughs> okay, they can say that. It's a child. It's charming. But if you as an adult say the same thing, my guru is the best of all. You should get initiated by whatever. This, the, the adult version of that, <laughs> that's, that's unbecoming. <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> so there is a period to be for being a fanatic, <laughs> but there is a period to stop being that. So Kanishta in itself is not a problem. The problem is what you are ready to stop being for stopping being a kanista and whether you insist on being a kanista or the environment is not pushing you out of that box to a wider one because the problem can happen from those both sides i may be ready for my next step and i'm in denial or i will like but the environment is keeping me from taking the steps for further growth and maturation or something so i i yeah i choose to to emphasize that particular point and, and i know that sometimes that can be difficult because someone and i've heard that you can imagine a few thousands of times probably not even hundreds that okay Maharaj, but i'm not in that environment <laughs> and of course it's that's difficult that's challenging but of course then the answer is well you have to look for that environment you have to create that environment. You have to do something about it. <laughs> I mean, you have to join someone who is doing that. You have to do that yourself. 
or you get out of the way and stop complaining. <laughs> because if not, you can become just a bitter, resentful person that is like, no, I don't have that, and it is not happening. But what you are doing about it also. Because sometimes, if not, we just become like very complacent. Like I'm, I wait for everything ideal coming to me in a golden tray. Oh, it's not coming. And we enter like victim consciousness. No, no, no. Krishna maybe wants you to inaugurate that, or makes you to think outside of the box and connect with, with, with an environment which may happen to be in places that you never thought it may be. <laughs> And that's part of the transition toward another way of, oh, I can associate with this person, but he's not from my institution. Oh, but he's nourishing me so much, but he's not from my institution. You have these two like, no? <laughs> but he's nourishing my faith in my guru and in my lineage. So, but he's not from your institution. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not about an institution. It's about nourishing our faith. If my faith is nourished, nobody at the end of my life will ask me which is my institution. Nobody at the door of Golog will, what's your affiliation, please? Show your card. No? It's all about faith. No? Where's, your, where's your heart? So so we need to, yeah, we, we need to find that. That's the Sadhu Sangha that Rupa Goswami recommends. Sajati as Sadhu Sangha. Sadhu Sangha with like-minded people. And Rupa Goswami also says, Krishna Bhakti Rasa Bhavitamati Kriya Tamyadi Kutopi Labyate. This is a very famous verse which speaks about Bhakti Rasa, but Srila Prabhupada says, This verse gave me the inspiration to name my society Krishna to Krishna Consciousness Movement. So the concept of Krishna consciousness comes from this verse by Rupa Goswami. And it says, Whenever you find that Krishna consciousness, Kriya Tamyadi Kutopi Labyate. You just whatever whatever it comes from, you just purchase it. He says, no. like implying it, if if you are greedy for Krishna consciousness, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. If it's a, if if it's the genuine substance, the real thing that is nourishing your heart, you won't limit that to an institutional affiliation or to is he Hindu or not? He's coming from a sannyasi or from a grihasta. Or I'm so inspired. Oh, but that's a woman. That's not a man. No. All this type of nonsense that sometimes people will think in those terms, unfortunately. Unfortunately. People will listen to me more because I'm a sannyasi. That's unfortunate <laughs> in one sense. <laughs> it means that if I if I won't be a sannyasi, they won't be listening to me because... So they're not listening to me. They are listening to me to, to the order, to the color. No? I, or, or like I remember talking with, with some devotee who told me, Oh, Maharaj, if you will be affiliated with ISKCON, so many more people will listen to you. And I was like, so if, if people will only listen to me because I'm affiliated with ISKCON, I don't care to be listened by that people. Because they are not listening to me. They are listening to my affiliation. So they don't care for who I am or what I have to say. They just care for my affiliation card. Do you follow my point? I have nothing against ISKCON. I'm just making the point of from which place we should feel the, the connection and the inspiration. As I like sometimes even say, sometimes I, I'm inspired by people from other traditions, from other religions. If you read my book on radical personalism, I'm quoting mystical Christians so many times. 
you can read the M notes section. <laughs> How many times Richard Rohr appears there? I don't have a problem. I, I don't. I, 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 I don't want to hide that. <laughs> but I know for some people it's like, oh, Maras, you have a problem. You're you are losing faith because you're being being inspired by someone outside of our tradition. I thought that would be the opposite of losing faith. I think I'm gaining faith. I think my faith is growing. It uh, is growing to the point of allowing me to be inspired by other people without the need of leaving my tradition. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so anyhow, I don't want to get so far, but regarding your question, I think, first of all, I will totally encourage and validate those transitions because they are so crucial. And, and, and my whole book on radical personalism is about that. It's about I experienced a version of Krishna consciousness which was great, but no longer holds up. It became obsolete. Mm -hmm. That version, not Krishna consciousness, my experience of that of Krishna. Now I need a new experience. I need to rediscover my tradition. That has that will have to happen a few times in, in, in one lifetime, many times. That's a death and a, and, and, and a, and a rebirth. And we have to be willing to, because if we are not willing to rediscover ourselves and our own tradition, we become so flat, so superficial, so external, so boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, the class are always the same, and it's like everyone is there just because you have to be there, yeah. no? because you are supposed to do that. But internally, what's happening internally? That's the actual question. Not if you are externally on the class, of not. You can be just in the class and you're just like, <laughs> no? <laughs> so what makes your heart beat? That that's the real question. No? So and again, Krishna consciousness is ever fresh, ever new. Krishna is ever fresh, ever new. Krishna consciousness is the same. But we have to do our part for that. And, and, and these transitions are necessary. And the transitions may be experienced as a crisis also. And it's okay. It's important for us to also understand crises are not bad. Because until we Clear the word crisis and become nervous. It's like, I don't want Christ. I want everything to be like honeymoon-like. <laughs> but life is not honeymoon. Again, life has problems. Life has, I mean, I, I hope all of you have gone through some problem in your life. <laughs> if not, let me know. I will create you immediately some. So, like, <laughs> so that's that's life also. And you have to deal with that. You have to integrate. There will be pain. There will be suffering. It's, it's, it's okay. It's not about not suffering. It's about learning to suffer. <laughs> and crisis, it's just you are thrown out of your comfort zone and suddenly you are invited to look at reality from another perspective. And, and it will be disconcerting because it's new and, and, and we are afraid of what's new because it's unknown. I mean, we are so attached to controlling things. So when we are put in a situation that is out of our control, we get nervous. But we are all, I mean, the point is that it's always out of our control, but sometimes we like to stay in certain places which allow us to think in illusion. I control this. Actually, it's not happening. So sometimes we need to go somewhere else to go like uncertainty. Like I put in my book, the opposite of faith. What is the opposite of faith? Not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Hmm. <laughs> Great. I want to, to I, want, I was waiting to hear. Hmm. The opposite of faith is certainty. 
Faith has to do with dealing with mystery, dealing with what I cannot control, being patient with those things that are beyond my comfort zone. That's faith. That's a journey into the unknown. Certainty has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Certainty, I want everything to be in the same place, predictable, under my control. That's not faith. No. That's you trying to be Krishna. <laughs> Ishvara, supreme controller. Faith is... I jump into the ocean of the unknown and I trust while that's going on. That's not easy. So again, we need a Sangha also that support those moments because you are going through something that is totally uncertain. I've gone through a few of those oceans <laughs> and you know, okay, this is for my bet that my best Krishna is there, but sometimes the experience can be so overwhelming that we run like neurotically to back to the comfort zone, back to the secure place. Okay, okay, everything. No? And of course, we need some certainty. I'm not against certainty, but also we need to balance certainty with uncertainty. Because if we become too attached that everything has to be in order, in place, that's the beginning of a dictatorship. Dictatorship is everything in order, everything in place, control, predictability. Well, Krishna is not that predictable, I can tell you. <laughs> Krishna is the, 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 the supreme unpredictable. <laughs> so if you want to relate to someone that will be playing the flute today here, tomorrow there, tomorrow there, you better are, are, are accustomed to, to follow his call. No? It's not like, Krishna, come on, play the flute in one place every single day. Be more predictable. That's not Krishna. So... You will kick out from Golok. That doesn't happen, of course. It's a way of saying it. That's another topic, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> but Krishna is unpredictable. Rupa Goswami says, Aheri Bhagati Prem Nasra Bhav Kutilava, but love moves like a snake in a crooked way, which means it's not in a straight line, it's in zigzag. Means you cannot anticipate the, the movement of love. So there's uncertainty, there's unpredictability. And we are here, we are not there in Golok, but we are here trained for that. So we need uncertainty. We need and we need support from seniors, from elders, from peers that come to us and tell, it's okay to go through that. No, don't get neurotic trying to go back to normal. No, you need this experience. Uncertainty is okay. No, crises are part of life. We need validation from the environment because if we don't have any validation, then actually we will think, to have a crisis means I am wrong. Uncertainty means lack of faith. And you just pick the whip and begin your festival of <laughs> no? self-hatred many times. I've seen so many devotees going neurotic like that. Like, I'm wrong. I must doing some offense. Because if not, I shouldn't be experiencing this. And probably it's Krishna's mercy on you, throwing you in that particular beautiful crisis. <laughs> but you don't have the capacity of reading that crisis as such, or you don't have an environment that helps you to read the crisis as such, and you choose to go neurotic and chastise yourself and become dysfunctional, and in some cases you even leave the practice altogether. <laughs> Just because there was no proper like accompanying to understand that particular chapter. And if you multiply many of those chapters understood in the wrong way, 
Do you follow my point? So again, going back to that idea, it's, it's so important to normalize this type of experiences, this type of conversations, instead of that's Maya, that's wrong, this shouldn't be happening. No, we want just the ideal Hare Krishna picture. <laughs> no, I remember once. I, I mean, I can understand. I saw. I remember when I was young, when I joined the boats, I was like 25 years ago, and they made some promotion clips with the devotees and i can understand you try to like when you are in publicity everything is like in the best smile the best the night the nice nicest devotees nice better face like ever but at the same time that's not real no i mean there's place for that we will sing we will celebrate i'm not saying that's not there but that's not the whole equation no there will be crisis. So we need to present that also, because if not, we are selling a an unrealistic idea of, of life, of reality. And of course, some people may be attracted to that, but we will be just attracting people who are evasive, who want to join us, so they don't have to face that stuff that they have to suffer. <laughs> so instead, I'm more of, let's make a realistic presentation of Krishna consciousness, which includes suffering, pain, crisis, all this stuff we are talking, but addresses it with some wisdom and knowledge. We are not deniers of things. We don't want to, we don't want to reject anything. Krishna consciousness is not about rejecting. It's about accepting everything from the proper perspective. That's Yukta Viragya. So anyhow, I can go on. I told you four hours, but it may be too much. But yeah, I will totally encourage uh, and, and and that again, that may take time. We won't find easy answers sometimes, and that's also part of life. Again, don't get addicted to easy answers to everything. No. Sometimes we need to just coexist with uncertainty for some time. And I don't know what's going on, and it's okay not to know. <laughs> it, it's humbling, no? and 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 you have to work on your faith and patience. I don't know, but I trust. I don't need to know everything immediately. Sometimes we need, as I mentioned in, in, radical, in my radical personalism book, sometimes we want question, answers to our questions. Sometimes We don't like questions. We want answers. But sometimes a, a good teacher will reply your question with another question. I will throw you, go there with that question for a few weeks and we'll talk later. And you're just, you don't have answers. You have more questions now. <laughs> but that's what we may need. It's not just closure, but disclosure. Now it's not just okay. This is the answer to your question. Closure. Next question. Well, maybe I will answer with another question, and it will create further doubts. Not doubts in you, in questioning the the nature of the process, but doubts about how we are thinking and approaching things and it's healthy to be in those places <laughs> it's, it's humbling again it's humbling to not be so sure about yourself in an absolute way <laughs> if you are too sure about you understood everything perfectly you can become a dangerous person <laughs> it reminds me just quickly of share a quote of your gym uh, i heard from the divine that the conviction of our certainty can erode our humanity so just tying what you're saying is sometimes where we are, we come out into the world very strong, 
with strong certainty in a kind of evangelical way, we can really lose touch with our humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and we, oh, mm. and that's another big theme of radical personalism, humanity. We have to keep our humanity in place because many times we we compromise our humanity in the name of being transcendental yeah. or strong faith, however we understand it. And we become inhuman, <clears throat> inhumanly transcendental. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> no, especially we, us, we want to serve Krishna in the Nara Lila, in the human-like pastimes. There is humanity there. So if I, I have a completely dysfunctional humanity, I won't be admitted there. You, you first put your humanity in place, boy, and then we can talk about it. So, yeah, there are so many ways in which we can, like, sabotage our humanity. And that should not happen. We have to be humans, and we have to spiritualize our humanity, not sacrifice it. That's more difficult. <laughs> because being human means allowing certain emotions, certain experiences, certain the, the, the brokenness of humanity, of the human condition, the frailty of being human. Again, that, that's many times we feel ashamed of that because we have the wrong paradigm to begin with, that that's wrong, that's bad, I shouldn't feel that, I should be perfect, I should be transcendent. <laughs> uh, and, and it becomes a guilt trip sometimes, spiritual life becomes a guilt trip, just I'm not good enough yet, I'm never good enough. <laughs> like if, and again, I, I mean, there are so many topics we can talk in this connection, but like we talked the other day and just briefly mentioned that, but and we chastise ourselves so much considering I'm so fallen, I'm not good enough, and therefore Krishna doesn't love me. So, so far Krishna doesn't love me because I'm such a mess. So I have to work so much so someday Krishna likes me. And that's, that's there's nothing farther from the truth than that. Krishna already has unconditional love from for every one of us. <laughs> But many times we forget that and we just become neurotic about I'm not good enough and I'm a mess and I have to be a pure devotee and I'm not there and unless I reach there, Krishna has nothing to do with me. And we conceive that type of idea of God, which is completely dysfunctional. And that affects how we do everything else, how we see everything else. So we have to be very careful, which is the, the lenses we are putting to see reality to see krishna to see the world because we can live in our own science fiction planet while externally i have my tail but from the wrong place so inhuman again it's inhuman so yeah no thank you for your question yeah so almost two hours something else I mean, we'll have other meetings, but maybe, I don't know, some of you may, something urgent that cannot wait for the next lecture in a few hours. Trivikram Prabhu has some question or commentary or something you may like to share. It may not be a question, whatever. Just a small understanding, thanks you said that program resonate with me. And I guess my a lifetime of feeling scrutinized and, and a filtered way by certain environmental situation that puts me in a, fight, uh, a fear dynamic and 
immediately the fears that you can't articulate, you can't even think practically. Mm. It trips you up, so it's very difficult to express. But still, having said that, I'd like to just bring down to a simple point that you were talking about um, the laziness. Mundus Mundana Taiwan, the symptom of being a Kali, right, as most of us are, is that um, that laziness and um, that inability to make the effort and, and sometimes a product of, you know, making an effort is just going to be opposed by the environment, typically the institutional paradigm. So then the culture of the Yugadharma is, it's, as I understood, the Yuga Dharma is, is there for such misguided people. And you do find that, especially this current generation, they very much take shelter of, of Kirtan and St. Kirtan. Um, and obviously there's quite clearly a connection there and, a, and an appetite for, for the, the, that um, activity of glorification of, of the Lord, in fact, you know, it's kind of simultaneously meeting that that goal of being connected on, you know, according to our process, but also there's there's a real taste for that, even socialising on that basis. You know, every every level it caters to, uh, and it seems even to the extent where when we're doing kirtan, um, because of the volcanic connection that Bija seems to span so much realization that comes and and puts the perspective on what this is all about. Mm. Can you can you just uh, uh, make a reference to the Yuga Dharma and obviously it doesn't it doesn't um, <coughs> legitimize being lazy. But um, at the same time, it's a provision, you might say, to be able to make some headway in a difficult environment that this world is currently in so many ways. There's so many things I could say, but I, you know, <laughs> the brain is, uh, you know, I'm trying to... <laughs> Yeah, you already said a little something, so thank, <laughs> thank you for that, yeah. Yeah, and also, just to begin, a note of what you said first, I, I, I totally empathize with what you are describing, which of course is not limited to you, All mostly all of us carry something of that sometimes, fear or even some, in, in terms of, expressing certain things or probably as a result of past trauma let's let's just be clear about that and past trauma not necessarily childhood trauma but probably in our Gaudiya childhood <laughs> we have our trauma right and not to blame anyone no because i'm not also a person like okay now when we started this happened and because of that person i went through of course, if there was abuse of things, we, we need to deal with that. But at the same time, life is not about blaming. No, we need at, the, at one point to to heal our trauma and continue and be compassionate and see things from bigger picture. And but but yeah, I I understand your point and I feel it's so necessary 
probably more than ever <laughs> that for 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 those situations that again most of us on some level or another we, we need safe spaces we need to create and this may be related back to your question we need to create safe spaces where we can be totally vulnerable with and we feel safe no and that takes time it's not that just like okay be be vulnerable with me come on tell me everything it's like uh, i don't know <laughs> but if you create that safe space i mean if you're expert in that then that can happen quickly uh, and and that creates that moment where okay I can be myself, no? I, I, there's no fear. I, I I mean there may be a little fear, but I feel also some courage to to express myself. And when I do it, oh, it worked. No? Nobody's judging me. Oh, nobody's attacking me. Nobody's abusing me. I'll try a little more. Oh, it's still working. <laughs> so you become more and more vulnerable, more and more naked, so to say, in front of your tribe let's put it like that and you become more and more empowered because you feel the acceptance from the environment which again that may not happen everywhere but it's so crucial to create those spaces it may be just among two people we don't need to be 300 <laughs> maybe in the 300 there is all this i don't know institutional nonsense that is everywhere no, where there is massive stuff, you can expect that much depth in big numbers. <laughs> and, and that has some purpose. I'm not condemning that. But in order to experience something more profound, intimate, personal, vulnerable, we may need to find our circle within the bigger circle. And that circle, again, may be just you can count them with the fingers of one hand, how many are there. And it's okay. Um, but when we are able to create that vulnerable space safe space we can be ourselves and we feel oh i'm being accepted by the rest i'm being heard i'm being i'm not being judged they are listening with compassion they are being empathic i mean even if they are not saying anything maybe you are just talking and they are just like listening to you but from the right place right not like Oh my gosh, these guys, these and oh, oh. <laughs> or like, oh, when 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 will come my turn to talk? No, he's talking so much, so nothing like that, no, but real presence. That's not so easy. No? To listen to each other, that's not so easy. <laughs> we may think, okay, I will listen to you, but immediately it's like we start like to label and put people in boxes. That's not listening. No? So when when we are proficient in that, or we work with each other as a team. To create that, I mean, that's another form of Sankirtan for me, in the sense of collective teamwork. Because Sankirtan is teamwork. Right? Sankirtan, Samyak Kirtan, Sangha Kirtan. It's Kirtan with others, collective. As I make a play of words sometimes, by yourself you can do some, some Kirtan. But Sankirtan, you can do it by yourself. We need each other. We need each other. So in the same way, we need each other to listen to each other, accept each other, reinforce each other, empower each other. It's a there is an individual part to the process, but also there is a collective aspect, and, and, and we need to create those those spaces so so we can be we can be who we are, as flawed as we may be, as partial as we may be, <laughs> as whatever broken you use the word that you like the most, 
and we can feel, oh my gosh, despite the mess that I am, so to say, these people is accepting me. Oh, they're listening to me. They're loving me. I'm feeling unconditional love. Krishna already has unconditional love for us. Sometimes we forget that. But sometimes we experience that coming from other person, from a devotee or whomever. Oh, and that's a very powerful example of a reminder of how Krishna is loving you unconditionally in the same way. Generally, we forget that, and that's why we are miserable most of the time. <laughs> if you were able to keep in mind how Krishna is loving you unconditionally at every single moment, we will be somewhere else. <laughs> but sometimes, so we sometimes need reminders of that among each other. That's pretty lakshanam, what Rupa Goswami calls in Upadeshambrita. Guhyamakyati prichati, reveal your mind in confidence. That's not just like, I have a problem to vomit on you. <laughs> Oh, such a relief. Thank you. And you will do no, but I want to tell you an advice. No, no, I just want to throw you my problem. And I'm more relieved. Goodbye. That's not what Rupa Goswami is talking about. He's talking about pretty action and interaction of love. And that has to do with this. Okay, I open my heart. You open your heart to receive my own per my open heart. <laughs> we are both open, accepting each other unconditionally. That's a symptom of love. He uses the word pretty. That's love. <laughs> So, so, so in those moments, we will be reminding each other how Krishna loves us by how we love each other. So that's sadhu sangha. Sadhu sangha is not just a social gathering, so to say. So, I, and, and that's for me, it's all tied with the idea of sankirtan. Because sankirtan, of course, we sing. That's beautiful. We celebrate. We sing the whole. But if after singing, we relate each other like inhumanly. Which Sankirtan was that? That was just musical performance. Because Sankirtan can easily become musical entertainment, not a mystical experience, not communion. <laughs> so it has to be very, very tight. You know, like how we perform Sankirtan and how we continue performing Sankirtan <laughs> after the Sankirtan, so to say. <laughs> how we connect with each other, how we remain vulnerable and open. So, because ideally, when you are singing, you are also trying to sing from an open place, from a vulnerable place. You are praying, you are offering yourself, and, and you are acknowledging, hey, guys, we need each other to do Sankirtan. I need all of you, please. And not all, all, all of you physically, mm -hmm. all of you present with your heart and being willing to collaborate. And we will try all of us to put our ego on the side so the real thing flows. You know? So we need each other for that. It's a teamwork. I cannot do all of that for you. You can do all of that for me. <laughs> so I think we need, yeah, just to remind each other on a daily basis of these miraculous facts <laughs> that we sometimes are very expert in forgetting about. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes any sense to what you shared. I don't know. Whatever came. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And so thanks so much. I think we are almost two hours, if it's okay with you, because in a few hours we have another meeting. <laughs> it reminds me like a few months. In one place I visit usually in Switzerland. Maybe some of the devotees are watching that Ananda Dham. And that has become famous because I generally do two classes per day, but the problem is the classes last like for three, four hours. <laughs> so I'm finishing one class and it's like, okay, we will 
stop here because we have another class in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, how much is the second class? No, it's just like, give me a break to go to the toilet and let's continue. <laughs> but it's also beautiful because it gives us a glimpse of Kirtaniya Sadahari. No, like it per perpetually, eternally, we can be engaged in that. I mean, if we properly connect, we can be continue talking and talking, and maybe it's like already three hours passed. No, or already Kirtan for wow. Eternity has has passed, no, something like that. No? So, so that's the idea, no, that we have a a glimpse here of how we want to live our lives for eternity, because we are already doing what we want to do for eternity. Don't forget about that. We are devotees. We are practicing bhakti, and what that's what we don't want to do for eternity to practice bhakti. We are chanting here because we want to chant there. So we must get these glimpses of okay, I could be doing this forever. <laughs> in a way that we like it again because if you don't like it and I have to do that forever it's like my gosh that's hell <laughs> <laughs> so we have to get a taste for bhakti in such a way that we are okay doing that forever <laughs> if you are if your practice of bhakti is not tasteful enough that you are okay in continuing doing that forever then you have to do some adjustment <laughs> because if not you are not going there forever you are going somewhere else so but I think we, we had a nice glimpse today. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> I will stop here and continue in a few hours. Sri Man Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Sri Gornitinanda Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Sri Lajiva Goswami Prabhupada Tirubhap Mahotsav Titi Ki Jai, Sadhu Sangha Ki Jai, Gaur Primananda Haribol, Vancha Kalpatarubhya Shakripa Sindhubhya Vachapati Tanam Pavani Pyo Vaishnavya Namon, Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Haribol.